Good stuff. John chapter 1, as we're continuing in this new mini-series, This is Reality, trying to understand from Scripture and according to God who we are as a church and what we're supposed to be about. John chapter 1, we'll look at a couple verses in a few minutes. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as your church, you would speak to us, please. That you would speak to us in a profound way which would be transformative in our lives. We confess as a whole that we often live for ourselves, for our own purposes, our own desires, that we're on our own mission building our own kingdoms. And we just ask that by grace you would do work in us through your Holy Spirit to make us more concerned about your kingdom and your glory and your purpose and your mission in this world. And so... Holy Spirit, please anoint me to speak. Don't let me get in the way. Give me clarity of mind and anoint me to communicate to these people because you love them so dearly, Lord. And we ask that you, Jesus, would be glorified now. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So this new series, This Is Reality, Theological, Missional, Relational. And the reason we're doing this is we're trying to ask and answer anew. Who are we as the church? What does it mean to be the church and a church? And what are we supposed to do as a church and how do we do it? So we said in the previous installment that we're theological. That means that we are concerned about who God is as revealed in scripture and that who God is shapes and identifies who we are. And what we're saying in this installment is that we're missional, meaning we're concerned about proclaiming and demonstrating who God is in culture. And what we'll say next time is that we're relational, that we want to do that in a way that is loving and caring toward people because God loves for, or loves, excuse me, and cares for people. So this paradigm will help us to achieve our goal as a church. And our goal as a church is to glorify God and participate in his purposes in the world. That is our goal. Now, Having said last week that we are theological, that we are shaped and informed, identified by who God is, we immediately then have to say we're missional because if we really understand who God is, we are compelled and driven by him and his love to tell people about him, right? So if we're going to be theological, really, we're going to be missional. That's the way it's going to work out. When we say that we're missional, we want to be careful with that term because it's a popular term in the church, but it's a misapplied term and I think even a misunderstood term. Popularly and broadly in the church right now, that adjective missional is used by a lot of new churches to describe who they are, but who the older, more traditional, broader evangelical churches are failing to be. In other words, it becomes an adversarial term within the church. We're a new church. We're doing awesome stuff. You older churches aren't doing such awesome stuff. We're missional. You're not. We don't want to use it that way. We don't want to be adversarial toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, the word is also popularly used right now to describe something that conservative churches are not usually. But you see, as reality, we are a theologically conservative church, and yet we're missional. So to say if you're missional, you're probably not theologically conservative, we're not going to define it that way. 
Further, the adjective is often used to describe something that mega churches couldn't possibly be. Now, we have to confess that we are a mega church. We never tried to be a mega church. That's not a goal of ours. We don't assign any value to that. But a mega church is a church that has an average weekly attendance of over 2,000. There's only 1,300 in America. We're one of them. And we want to be able to say that you can still be a mega church and be on mission, be missional. So we want to define that term carefully. Furthermore, the adjective missional is often associated these days with the emergent and emerging church and liberal churches. We are neither. We are not a liberal church and we are not an emergent church. So we don't want to define it that way. In addition to those things, the adjective missional is often most popularly associated with the social gospel. The social gospel would be that which would value broad societal change over individual salvation and transformation. It would say that we work societal change to manifest the kingdom of God in society and then usher the kingdom in. We would say that we invite people into the kingdom of God, which is already present through individual salvation, which leads to transformation, which leads to community transformation and the change of the nations for the glory of God. So we're concerned about social change, but that's not what drives us necessarily. So what on earth does Brit mean by missional? Well, here's what we mean by missional. It is to be aware of and concerned about what God is doing in the world and to endeavor to daily be involved in that. To be aware of the fact that God is on mission and to lay hold of the fact that we are to live lives on mission. That because of who God is, it's his nature to reach out to people. And because of who we are in Christ, the redeemed image bearers of God, it's part of our new nature to reach out to people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So to be missional is to recognize that God is on mission and our lives are to be an expression of God's mission. That's what we mean very simply. Now, There is amongst church leaders and church people in general, this debate about the validity of two different broad approaches to doing church, the missional way of doing church and the attractional way of doing church, two different approaches. And the attractional approach would generally say something like this. We're trying to get people to come to church, i.e. the church building, And ultimately to be interested in and meet Jesus through having quality programs, excellent music, enough parking, the right facilities, sermons that address immediate felt needs, and by being cool enough to be relatable to culture. So that's obviously over-reductionist, and I'm trying not to be negative because there is a degree in which we're attractional. I'll speak to that in a minute. But basically, if we can be cool enough and convenient enough, then a bunch of people will come, and the goal is that they'll meet Jesus. So we try to attract people with quality programs and music and the right sermons and so on and so forth. The mentality to that is a come-and-see mentality. We are the church, we're together, we're in this building. Come and see and meet Jesus. That's okay. There's another camp that would say, 
Uh, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to be missional. We don't care about people all getting together in large groups, gathering together in a building. Rather, the driving component is us taking Jesus and his message outside the building to the world. We want people to get interested in and meet Jesus, but we don't necessarily see them doing that in the building. We see them doing that outside the building. So instead of being a come and see mentality, it's a go and tell mentality. Now, what I would argue is that the local church needs to be both. The local church needs to be attractional. There should be some degree of come and seedness. And we need to be missional. There should be a strong commitment to going and telling and being the gospel. When people from the outside community that don't yet know Jesus come into the church gathering, there should be something attractive to them. It, it might escape words for them. It, might, it, it, it is an intangible and it might be mysterious, but that attractive thing, shouldn't it be that the music is so good or, or we spoke directly to their needs or that it was convenient or very hip? It should be Jesus. When they come into the church, whether they can uh, verbalize that or not, it should be Jesus that is making them say, I'm not sure what this is, but there's something about it that I want. There's something attractional here. We as a church need to make sure that we so keep Jesus Christ the center, that he is present and felt and experienced when we get together. So there is a degree to which we have this come and see mentality. And when people do come, and they will, they will, they'll come into the church and check it out. When they do come, we ought to be relatable and understandable. Not merely to appeal to people, not we're so cool, we're so hip, they're just transfixed on us, not that, and not merely to hook people, not to get them with our comfort or our programs, but rather the reason we want to be relatable and understandable is so that we can communicate to and with people because God loves people and his message is for people. Therefore, we need to be relatable. We can't be totally removed from culture. We can't be, you know, wearing robes from 200 years ago. But we're also not endeavoring to be cooler than the latest film and hipper than Hollywood and all these things. We want to be normal, real people. Relatable and understandable because it's a very important message that we've been entrusted with. You see, it's not that we're trying to make the gospel relevant. It's that we want to show people that the gospel is relevant to their lives. We don't make it relevant. We explain to them how it is relevant. So in that way, we are attractional. But we are also missional, our subject for today. Because we understand that the vast majority of people that we care about in our communities that don't know Jesus, the vast overwhelming majority of them will never come into the church building. We got to realize that. So if we only have a come and see mentality, we're failing in reaching people for Jesus because most of them just aren't going to come and see pre-conversion. Therefore, we have this strong commitment to go and tell, to leave the building, be the church scattered in the world on mission, proclaiming and demonstrating who Christ is. 
realizing that, that if, if Jesus is really in us, there's also going to be some attractional element that people should look at our lives, how we suffer, how we forgive, how we relate with one another, how we deal with finances and sexuality, how we handle power. There should be something of, if the life of Christ is working in our lives that, that is attractive to them. And then in their context, in their sitting, setting, excuse me, we demonstrate Jesus and we proclaim Jesus to them. And we do it in ways that they can understand, right? We don't do it in Christianese, you know, we don't do it in old King James. We, we use their language so they can get that God loves them. The idea of this, and it goes beyond language into thought process and worldview, is contextualization. You've probably heard this phrase. We need to contextualize the gospel. Very simply, that means that we are aware of the worldview of people around us. We're aware of what they value. We're aware of what they fear. We're aware of what they celebrate, what they're opposed to, what they embrace. We're aware of the thought processes and what shapes and informs them. And then we communicate then in a way that is understandable. Contextualization is not compromise. Tim Keller helps us with this. His definition is this. Contextualization is not giving people what they want. It is giving them God's answers, which they may not want, to the questions they are asking in forms they can comprehend. This is also known as common sense. <laughs> that we want to communicate important things about God, whether they like it or not, but in ways that they can understand. They might reject it, but did they get it? If they are rejecting it, do they know what they're rejecting? Have we sufficiently explained and exposed Jesus to them? Again, not to try to make the gospel relevant, but to demonstrate and explain the relevance of it. So both in our gathering, we get together as a church, in our scattering, we're the church out in the world, in our attractional components and in our missional components, what we need to be sure of is that all of it is based on who God is, what God wants, and what God is doing. That it is distinctly theocentric. It starts with who God is and it ends with who God is. It's not about what people want and what people are doing. The fact that the church often misses is that who God is connects with people because God knows what they want and what they need. What people want is love. What they need is to be saved from the penalty and power of sin so that they can experience love. The fact that we are missional is based on something theological. We are missional because God is missional. God is a missionary God. That's the very nature and essence of God. What does it mean to be God? It means to be a trinity, a triunity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God has always existed in a community. One God, three who's, three who's, one what? One God, the God of the Bible, existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God in his essence, in his nature, is one God, 
made up of three persons. He is also in his essence and his nature, love. God is love. So God exists as a community of three who is himself love. Therefore, God is a community of love. The church is to be a community of love. What is distinct about love is that love is intensely other-oriented. True love is intensely other-oriented. It always reaches out. The nature of God then as community and love is always reaching out, always reaching out. Pseudo-Dionysus, what a weird name, who was a sixth century theologian and trying to define and explain how the Trinity reaches out said this, Love does not permit the lover to rest in himself. It draws him out of himself so that he may be entirely in the beloved. This is what Jesus was talking about where he said, the father is in me and I'm in the father. And then the desire was that we too would be in, invited into the life of God. We're invited into that Trinitarian community of who God is as redeemed people. So God has existed for eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community of love, loving each other. And then there came a moment when God reached out of the Trinitarian circle in love to create all that is. That's an act of God's love. He created all that is as an act of that outgoing love. And now God is working to redeem all that is, to redeem all of creation through the cross of Jesus Christ, which is an outworking of the love of God. God is in his very essence, a missionary God. This provides for us then a deeper impotence to live life on mission. We don't live life on mission because we merely have a command, go unto all the nations. That's good and we ought to obey that. But as redeemed image bearers, those who have been remade in the image of God, it is part of our new nature to love and to reach out in love. So just as it's God's nature to reach out in love, part of our new nature patterned after Christ is to reach out and to love. It's part of who you are in Jesus. The love of God compels us to reach others with that same love. What happened in the incarnation is that that love of God was made visibly manifest in human history. That the love of God took on flesh and stepped into history. And it tells us that what love does is goes to and identifies with. God came to humanity in the person of Christ, identified with humanity died for our sins on the cross, rose to new life, that we can be identified with him by dying to self and raising to new life. And so in the same way that God went to and became like, was draped in human flesh, the goal of the church, if we're going to be missional, is to go to people, to become like them, to begin to understand their worldview, their hurts, their pains, their brokenness, their difficulties, their joys, their parties, their celebrations, their values, and then be Jesus where they are. That's what we want to do. It says in verse 18 of John 1, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. 
The incarnation is the explanation of God. And that word explanation right there, or he explained him, is in Greek, exegeomai. It's where we get our word exegesis. That's a Bible teacher word. Forget about it. But what does exegesis mean? It means to declare, to explain, to unfold something carefully. So Jesus being draped in humanity is the declaring the explaining, the unfolding of who God is to history, to the world. The Bible says that he is the visible image of the invisible God. The attributes and the character and the beauty and the love and the power of the Trinity made manifest in history in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, In the same way that Christ had a body then and still has a body seated in the heavenlies, when he comes again, they will look upon him whom he is wounded. But in the same way that that body and what he did became an explanation of who God is, we have this metaphor in the New Testament that we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We now are to be the explanation, declaration, and unfolding of who God is to culture. We become the exegesis of God. In the first century, you were able to say, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus Christ. And now in this century, we're supposed to say, you want to know what Jesus Christ is like? Look at Christ's church. So to live missionally is to live in culture in a way that is consonant with who Christ is and what he is doing. And this means that we have a radical commitment to the biblical Jesus. A radical commitment and a willingness to defend the exclusivity and universal lordship of Jesus Christ. We would say that we affirm the uniqueness, the centrality, the decisiveness of Jesus Christ as universal Lord and Savior the way by following whom the world is to find its true goal, the truth by which every other claim to truth is to be tested, and the life in whom alone life in its fullness is to be found. We say in the world that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father. Nobody goes to heaven except through him. That he claimed and demonstrated absolute exclusivity. We say that into the midst of a pluralistic culture, a culture that values many truths, where there's all sorts of competing truth claims, and we say Jesus Christ is truth, and we measure every other religious, ideological, and philosophical claim against who Jesus is, and we have a radical commitment to the finished work of Christ on the cross. We preach the cross of Jesus Christ, that for people to be saved, they must repent of their sins, recognizing that he died on the cross for their sins, paid the price that they could never pay and rise to new life, that we might have new life in him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, speaking of the cross, that he would draw all men unto himself. He was lifted up and now we lift him up. We proclaim the true Jesus. We don't soft pedal it. We don't soften the blow. We don't compromise. We tell it like it is. Because when Jesus came, that's what he did. Father, if there's any other way that humanity could be saved, let's do that. He prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet by the will of the Father, he took three nails on the Mount of Golgotha. He is the only way to be saved. 
He proclaimed that and he demonstrated that. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, the author who also, I should say the writer, the author is the Holy Spirit, amen, but the writer who was Dr. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He says there in Acts 1, 1, um, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do and teach. Those verbs, do and teach, in the Greek, they're in the imperfect tense, which means they're not past tense, which means they are an ongoing action. So what we find is in the Gospels, Jesus began to do some things and began to teach some things. He never finished. His mission is ongoing. What we see in the book of Acts is a continuation of the doing and the teaching of Jesus. And so what we are to see in our lives, in our cities, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, is a continuation of the doing and the teaching of Jesus. Jesus is still on mission. All mission is God's mission. The goal of the life of the church is to join with Christ in his mission for his glory. He's still on mission. It's not ours. And so what we want to do in our schools, in our families, in our relationships, in our workplaces, is we want to teach what Jesus is teaching and do what Jesus is doing. What that means then is as a local church and individual members thereof, we kind of got to get over our own agendas. We kind of got to get over our own ideas and our own hobby horses and our own sort of desires and proclivities and our own frustrations and, you know, our own gifting. We got to get over those things because we have a tendency to make it about those things. Hey, I have this gift. I should be doing that. Hey, I have this idea. You should be doing my idea. Hey, they're all messed up over there. We ought to be dealing with that. And hey, we ought to have this ministry and that ministry. And you know, all of your ideas are good ideas, but we want God's ideas for the church. I'm not saying that we always get it, but the goal is that it's Christ's church, Christ's mission. What is he doing? What is he teaching? Lord, catch us up and that move of the Spirit. Don't let it be about what we want to do and what we want to teach, but about what you're doing and what you're teaching. What that means practically is that we need to pray more. If we're going to hear the will of God, we need to pray more. We have the will of God as revealed in the Word of God, and we have the will of God revealed prophetically. It will never contradict the written Word of God. It will always be consonant and consistent with, but God does speak to us today about our context, about the tragedies of the world at this time, about our difficulties and those of the people around us. And so we need to be a praying people that we could hear the voice of God saying, here is where I am in that brokenness. Here's where I am in that difficulty. Here's where I am in that celebration. Here's where I am in your city. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm about. And that's, that's not easy. But we need a purpose to begin to read life and events, both local and global, missiologically. In other words, we just start asking, okay, Lord, what, what's up with that? What are you doing in that? In our own fa families, in our own marriages, Lord, what are you doing here? What's, what's going on here? In our schools, in our city, we need to 
Read life missiologically and prayerfully. Jonathan Edwards, our great American evangelist, said, the great task of every generation is to discover what God is doing and do that. Church needs more of that. Discovery of what God is doing. And as we endeavor to do that, we will discover that we then are always repenting of apathy because God is always up to something. He's always near to the brokenhearted. He's always stepping into the brokenness of the world around us. And, and that's, when, when we begin to see that, it's going to cause us to repent of apathy all the time. The church always needs to be repenting of apathy all the time. And the more that we do that, the more we have our eyes open to what Christ is up to, the more we will want to change the world. But it's not going to be we want to change the world because we have visions of grandeur concerning our ideas and our gifts and our talents and ourselves. Nor will it be we want to change the world because we're bleeding heart humanitarians. Rather, it will be that we see that Christ and the gospel are always changing the world and that we are invited to be part of that change on a local level and a global level in the macro sense and in the micro sense. Furthermore, what it means to be missional is that we stop doing things for God and start doing things with God. Doing things for God is misinformed and religious. I mean, what are you going to do for God? I mean, what does he need? Like God is in heaven like, ah, Man, I wish I had a hookup for that. I wish somebody down there would throw me a bone and do that for me. I can't get any help around here. (laughs) That contradicts theology. The Bible says that he's an all-sufficient one, that he has need of nothing. It's not about doing things for God. It's about doing things with God. God is doing things by his own power for his own glory. He's redeeming all that he created and he invites us because he is a God of love and relationship. He invites us, he beckons us into that. And life is so much more fun when you're doing things with God as opposed to trying to do stuff for God. We are God's fellow workers, 1 Corinthians says. So when we say we're missional, it means we really believe that God is up to something right now, and the people around us and in the world, and that we really care about it, and we really want to be passionate about what God is doing in our workplaces and other places, in our homes and in Haiti. Part of doing that is simply realizing our sentness as God's people, that we are a sent people, that Jesus said in John 17 and John 20, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So we need to believe that by faith. We need to lay hold of that theologically. We need to begin to believe and act on the fact that we are sent. You need to have a bigger view of God and his sovereignty. That no matter where you are in life, no matter what the mishaps have been, the tragedies, the heartache, the misunderstandings, the failures, the follies and the foibles, no matter what those have been, we believe in a big God who knows where you are and wants you to see yourself as sent in that very context. With all your junk, with all your brokenness, with all your mistakes, with all your hurts, with all your wounds, with all your limps, with all your baggage, we all got it. We all got it. God wants to use you as you are, where you are right now. 
And what becomes either the disconnect in that or the key to that is simply intentionality. That you realize theologically that I'm a sent person. And so you live out missionally an intentional expression of explaining Jesus to the people that are near to you. Intentionality. That's what it means to be missional. To just see yourself as sent. Who are the people near you? That's your mission field. The people you already know, the people already involved in your life. What it means to be sent is to realize that God cares as much about Monday through Saturday as he does Sunday. He's as concerned about what goes on at your workplace as what goes on at the worship place. He's as concerned about what you're doing in the community as what you're doing in church. So then Jesus actually becomes Lord of our lives, not just our Sundays. And we actually begin to be the body of Christ, to be the bride of Christ, to be the church and to let him be on mission through our lives and for us to follow him into what he's doing. Now, sometimes we're most effective doing that as a church gathered. We see that in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And other times we're most effective doing that as a church scattered. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 8. The church becomes scattered. So sometimes it's best to do things in a large group will accomplish more. Sometimes as individuals or small groups. Like when we're birthing other churches. You know, we just planted that church in San Francisco together. And so when we do something like that, it takes the whole body. The whole body's got to get on board. That's just huge relationally, investment-wise, prayer-wise. We're birthing as a body, another body. So the whole church body is in on something like that. We're most effective in that component of mission as a big group when we pull our resources and our prayers. And then there's other times when you're most effective as an individual, like with a person that you're, you know, demonstrating Jesus to at work. It just wouldn't be that cool if the whole church, a few thousand of us, showed up Monday morning and said to the guy, hey, bro, we're here to tell you about Jesus because we're the church and we do everything together. That's stupid. We need to be the church gathered and we need to be the church scattered. And we need to be on the same page with these missional expressions that we have. One of them is the fact that we pray. We're radically committed to prayer. The reason we are is because we believe that we must hear the prophetic voice of God for this generation, for this expression of the church, for what's going on in the world. And so that just means we've got to pray a lot. So we have a lot of prayer meetings and you guys should be at prayer meetings. You should be at prayer meetings participating in that component of the life of the church where we breathe in the life and the heart and the will of God. And then we not only breathe it in, but we breathe it out in prayer. We pray God's will into situations. We're praying God's heart for Haiti. We're praying God's heart for San Francisco. And we go on mission in England through prayer, never even leaving where we're at, but doing viable, transformative mission around the world in prayer. So we're missional in the fact that we pray and the way we pray. And we're missional in the way that we teach and preach. We teach and preach always keeping this before us, that Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that the job of the leadership of the church is to equip the people in the church to do the work of the ministry. We are radically opposed to the idea that in the church we have the professional clergy, those who are paid to be on mission and the rest of us are spectators. That's wicked. That's wrong. That's 
anti-biblical. Well, what we are committed to seeing is every member on mission, every member a minister, everyone experiencing and living out the life of Christ in their context. And so we teach and we preach that way. We teach and preach to get you out the door. We want you out in the world living for Jesus. Only 46% of, bio, of Christ, uh, church-going Christians, excuse me, agreed strongly with this statement, according to a recent survey. The statement was, I have a personal responsibility to tell people about Jesus. Only 46% of churchgoers said, yeah, I agree strongly with that. We are disgusted by that. We are radically committed to changing that number to 100% of Christians having a sense of responsibility to demonstrate and proclaim who Christ is to those who need him most. We are missional in the frequency and the places of our gathering. We get phone calls at the church all the time, and I'm explaining this so we're all on the same page, okay? We get phone calls at the church all the time saying, look, don't you have a midweek meeting? Isn't there a meeting on Tuesday night? Don't we get together on church Thursday night? Don't you have a singles? Don't you have a thing for moms who are left-handed? Don't you have a thing for dads that don't play soccer? Don't you have a thing for 28 and a half to 29 and a quarter year olds? Like, where's all the stuff? (laughs) Intentionally, We don't have all that stuff and we don't do all those other gatherings because we don't see us as being most effective always inside the building with each other. We have a radical commitment to going and telling. And so we just said, we're not going to spend our whole lives in the church building. Yeah, we're going to get together. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be cool. But then we're going to go out and we're going to live in the world and we're going to be amongst non-believers so we can explain and expose who Jesus is to them. We are missional in the way that we lay hands on people. We do it all the time on Sundays. We lay hands on normal, untrained, uneducated, unqualified people to go and be on mission for Jesus. We do that because they did that in the Bible in Acts 13. They did that with Paul and Barnabas. Our home groups were doing that last season because our home groups are focused on being on mission. And so someone would say, you know, I work uh, wherever it is. I work at Raytheon or I I work here and there and I want to be on mission there. There's people that need to know about Jesus. And so members of home groups were laying their hands on each other and commissioning each other and praying for the same anointing, the same power, the same Holy Spirit, the same unction that Paul and Barnabas had that they could go into their workplace, into the world world and be impactful for Jesus Christ. We're missional in the way that we birth other churches and campuses. Jesus is building his church in this generation and he's called us to be a part of it. And so we see Christ's strategy, a primary component of it, the gospel going forth in churches and in campuses. And so we plant churches. Statistically speaking, new churches are more effective at evangelism and at vibrant missional life. So we plant new churches as often as we can. We birth them as often as the Lord would allow. And statistically speaking, uh, multi-campus churches are more effective at bringing more people to Jesus. And so as the Lord leads us, we've become a multi-campus church. So we're missional in those things. We're missional in the prayer tours that we do. 
The fact that before we launched the Ventura campus, we had one year of prayer meetings. The fact that before we did San Francisco, we had over a year of prayer tours, taking hundreds of you up there to pray through the city. What we do when we do that is we humbly go in and we say, God, what do you want to do in this city? What are you doing in this city? God, reveal to us the idols. And then we pray that they would come down in the name of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 10. Our weapons are divinely powerful with God. And so those are missional endeavors, those praying in communities. We're missional in our attitude toward other churches. We need to be on board. I'm sharing these things so we're all on the same page. Don't you dare to other Christians or non-Christians in the community ever say, my church is better than. Our church is better because. Don't you dare recruit from other churches. In fact, some of you should go to other churches. You're on fire for Jesus and there's churches that need some of that fire and there's too many of you here. Some of you should go away (laughs) on mission to other churches. We want to bless other churches. We want to partner with other churches. We want to esteem them highly because there's one mission and there's one body and we're all on the same team. When we planted our campus in Ventura, we had a year of prayer meetings, as I said. In the first three months, we were only praying for other churches in Ventura County. We never said a single prayer for reality in three months. We prayed for other churches, for pastors, leaders, elders, and congregations by name. That God would bless them and anoint them and revive them and empower them, that they would prosper and be effective to the glory of God. Same thing on our prayer tours in San Francisco. Much of our time in San Francisco has been praying for the churches there. We believe that if God were to bring true revival to a city, that every church would be on fire and full and packed and overflowing to the glory of God. We are missional in our attitude toward culture. We don't want to set ourselves up as just being adversaries to culture. We understand the concept that it says in the New Testament that friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's not talking about people. It's talking about the world system and idolatry and the lusts of the flesh which are contrary to the character of Christ. But we must recognize John 3.16 that God so loved the world, meaning the people in the world. And so we don't see people as the enemy. And we need to change the way that we talk to them, interact with them, deal with them so they don't see us as the enemy. Because prevalent non-Christian culture in America sees the church as hating them, judgmental toward them. And we need to reverse that. We need to be missional in the way that we view people and culture. They are not the enemy. We need to recognize common grace in culture and use that for the furtherance of the gospel. And yeah, we reject and speak to things that are antithetical to the gospel and culture. But we love all people at all times in every way that we can by the grace of God. We're missional in the way that we talk to them. We don't use old King James language in Starbucks. Oh, thus saith the Lord Sabaoth. We don't we don't do that. We say things like, dude. <laughs> hey, bro, I, I I think God wants to get your attention. We, we just talk their language. We're, we're concerned about what they're concerned about. We enter into their suffering and their brokenness, their shame and their rejection because that's what Jesus did. And we seek to apply the gospel 
to the things that they care about. Are they wrapped up in finances? Let's talk about how the gospel impacts finances. Are they wrapped up in sexuality? Let's talk about what the gospel has to say for human sexuality. So we bring the gospel to bear on what is most pressing in their lives. And finally, we together, you guys, are missional in the way that we seek to address and care for the poor and the homeless, the widows and the orphans, the oppressed and the brutalized, locally and globally. If you start reading your Bible, not from the framework of what do I care about, that's usually how we go to the Bible. What do I care about? What do I need to know? What am I interested in? What, what do I need to hear? How's this going to affect me? We seldom realize that the book's not about us, that it's actually about God. If we start reading it with a question in the framework, what does God care about? You'll see from Genesis to Revelation that God cares about the marginalized, the rejected, the displaced, the poor, the broken, the brutalized. From Genesis to Revelation, he cares intensely and radically about them. And so his body must care intensely and radically about him. And you guys are doing that. This year, you guys have given ridiculous amounts of money for orphans in Haiti, orphans in Thailand, orphans in Mexico. You guys have given hundreds of sleeping bags, hundreds of tarps, hundreds of blankets, thousands of pieces of clothing. You've opened up your church building here when it's raining to be a shelter for the homeless. They're coming in and they're sleeping. They're getting out of the rain. And then you guys are walking the streets in our community and you're beginning to talk to homeless people. And, and they bring up, hey, are you from that church reality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for letting us spend the night. I saw someone on Linden Avenue, a homeless guy the other day. He said, gosh, I'm so stoked that we got to come and not be in the rain that night and sleep at your church. Thanks, that's awesome. Hey, do you have a Bible that I could have? I was like, yeah, for sure. And he's like, well, do you have one of those surfer Bibles? I want one of those. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you one of those. I actually have a waterproof one. You want the waterproof one? <laughs> but see, care about those people. And we're never gonna, in this generation, alleviate hunger and homelessness and oppression and injustice and suffering. But that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. We do everything that we can to alleviate human misery wherever it is. And when we do that, we preach the eternal gospel of God. We preach the eternal gospel of God because people are not saved by having a clean source of drinking water. They are saved by drinking from the well of living water who is Christ himself. And we do it all to the glory of God and by the grace of God. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be this church, to do these things. Lord, we confess that we fall so short and we haven't attained to it. But by grace and for your glory, you are working in our midst. You are transforming us. You are doing something good for your glory in our cities and in the nations. And so we would just say in our individual hearts and in our corporate heart, Lord, have your way. Deal with our comfort zones. Deal with our commitment to our own comfort. Deal with our selfishness, our self-centeredness. 
Teach us to be more about what you're about, Lord. We would pray in all humility and sincerity and with fear and trembling that you burden our hearts with what burdens yours. To the degree that we can handle, you'd break our hearts with what breaks yours. Thank you that you're a kind and gentle Father who leads us by his righteous right hand. We want to follow you into mission, God. So tune our ears to hear from you. Steady our feet to walk the course. We want to get caught up in the beautiful outworking of your love in this world. Amen. Prayer team is up here. If you guys need them, they're mighty in prayer. Communion is here to remember and celebrate Jesus. Feel free to pray with each other. Feel free to get on your face. Let's respond to the Lord.